Am I on? Okay, it's time to start. So let's pause for prayer before we start. Our Father in heaven, we come before you here this afternoon, thanking you for another day that we can serve you. Thank you for all the work that you have been doing in each of our lives. Help us to be open to your Spirit's leading. Help us to continue to be faithful in the knowledge that you have given us. Be with us here in this afternoon's hour. ask that you would give me wisdom and give me understanding. Give me thoughts to share. Lord, we want your name to be lifted up and that your kingdom would be edified. Bless each of these young people. Lord, we don't know where their future lies. We just ask that you would go with each one of them and help them to be the man or the woman that you want them to be. Ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good afternoon. After we had talked about the, this topic and started moving forward on studying for it, some people were telling me that it's going to be a bit of a challenging class, possibly. So let's start into it and just see where it goes. <clears throat> I thought I would bounce off of the, of the topic for the morning, becoming a servant. Who then is willing to write? I know this might be a boring subject for some of you, but hang in there. Let's see where we go and see what God has for us. Like I say, this may be a challenging class. <clears throat> you had all week to get to know each other. I feel somewhat like an intruder or an outsider. You don't know me and I don't know you, at least not all of us. I know some of you. It is Friday, the last day of your studies. We've had lunch. Who feels like sleeping? And I also recognize I'm speaking to a large group of people with very different interests. Some of what I share will apply in one way to some and a different way to others. Why do we do what we do? If we want to do something, we always do it for a reason. Either what we're going to get out of it or what someone else will get out of it. One thing I'd like to say here is that the Bible says that looking on, we should look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There is a concept or principle that we all tend to do what we do because of what we will get out of it. There is a part of that that is created in us, just like Jesus looked forward to what was set before him and knowing the joy that would be there, he endured what he had to go through. Now, hopefully we don't end up thinking that writing is something we have to endure. Hopefully we can learn how to enjoy it and not just endure it. We all want to have an impact on our world. We all have a treasure. Every one of us has something that we treasure, and that is where our heart is. Our treasure controls our heart, which controls our behavior. What we focus on, think about, talk about, and meditate on will determine our treasure. The only way we will have true fulfillment is if we align our heart with God's heart and our will with God's will. Hindrances to servanthood. Not having a clear heart before God and others. Not waiting on God's direction and leading. Here I'd like to tell a little story. When I was young married, I was sure God has a certain plan in mind for my life. A certain direction, a certain, uh, certain way he wanted me to be involved in the kingdom work. And I was pushing for that. I would try, I would make phone calls. I would look for open doors. I would come up against the door, if you know what I mean, and I would knock on it, I would push on it. And if it seemed to be locked, I would push harder until it just didn't seem to open, and I'd go and try another one. There was an older brother in the church that saw that 
in my life. And he said one day, you just relax. God knows your name, your phone number, and your address. When he wants you, he will contact you. And in my heart I thought, old man, you're, you're just way too old. You have no concept how things work in today's world in Christianity. I'm just being honest. Some of you young people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the old people just seem to, they just don't understand. But God kept putting roadblocks in my way. And I came to realize that he wanted me to learn to be faithful with the little things that he had given me to be faithful with. And that when I did that, he started opening doors. There came a time in my life where I came before the Lord and I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I've been going my own way and I've been running ahead of you. I want to be faithful where you've called me and I want to wait for you to do the leading. And I started to rest in that and wait on him. And one day, several years later, the phone rang. And it was someone asking for if I would be willing to be involved in the very thing that I'd been trying so hard years before to do. And my mind immediately went back, right in the middle of that phone call, went back to what that older brother in church had said that one day so many years before, that God knows my name and my phone number. And when he wants me, he'll call me. So I just encourage you young people to try to be in God's will. Another hindrance is not being under spiritual authority. And this was a really hard one for me. I struggled everywhere I went for years. Deep in my heart, I was struggling with, I thought it was fear. And so when I'd be relating to someone in authority, I would tend to sort of tense up and react. And But the, those over me would experience that I was being belligerent. And I would have my own ideas, and I would always try to be in control. But God had to, I was a hard learner, a slow learner, and God had to spend a lot of time molding and shaping me. I still have areas to grow in that, but I have, I have grown a lot. I thank the Lord for that. If we have a personal agenda that we're going to try to push... If we have a reactionary mentality. And here's one that many people would tell me I was reactionary. And I didn't understand that. And I'd just like to mention this little concept. There's a difference between responding to a situation or reacting to a situation. We always are expected to do something. If someone says something or someone does something, either nice or unkind, we're going to do something. For the Christian, it's better to respond and allow ourselves to be under the control of God's Holy Spirit so that we can respond the way he wants to. When we have unresolved issues in our heart, we will react. And things don't always end up very well. And this actually affects our writing. We will sometimes write I know I've written things already that later I wished I hadn't. Write a letter or something to someone, sort of telling them what I thought. Later I wished that I had thought it through more or slept over it or prayed about it. If we have a selfish spirit, and here I use the verse in 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the gifts of the spirit. Every one of us that is born again and in God's kingdom the Bible says we have a gift that he wants us to use. And here it says, If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? So, 
Just because someone else can sing better than you, or can write better than you, or speak better than you, there's still something that every one of you can do. God has given everyone a gift. And so again, I would just come back to what the Bible says about being faithful with the things that God has given us. And he promises if we are, he will give us more. A little about myself. In three months, I will be 48 years old. My wife Eileen and I have celebrated 23 years of marriage this past Saturday. We have eight children, ages 21 to 2. I am a professional sharpener by trade, and I enjoy or delight in taking someone's piece of junk, such as a butcher knife that was made 50 years ago, and they left lay around, and it's all rusty and dirty, and taking and cleaning it up, polishing it and putting a sharp edge on it that you can shave or any cut whatever you want to with it. We live on a dairy farm as herdsmen, and our children actually do all of the chores. I have too many other things going to do that. If I have a hobby, it would be beekeeping or being in the outdoors. I actually do have bees, and I enjoy that. There is, for me, it has a calming effect to be out holding a frame full of bees without a mask and without gloves. Bright, sunshiny day and just sit there and watch them move around and take my finger and start playing with them and just sort of chase them around. I enjoy that. And I get stung a few times. In the spring, the first few times, it sort of makes you a little bit upset when it happens. But for a beekeeper, you have to get to the place where you say, I'm not going to care. I know I'm going to get stung, and then it's all right. A little more about myself. I went through grade 10 in school. I got a GED. I struggle quite extensively with grammar, phonics, vocabulary, and writing. Very much difficulty with that. I never pictured myself as a writer. Over the years, others encouraged me to seek the Lord about writing. Today, I am the editor of the Heartbeat of the Remnant magazine. If none of you know about that, there's a sum out on the table. I also write numerous doctrinal articles and interact with people via email and so forth. Why am I concerned about this? And you'll understand what I mean by concerned in a minute here. But first, let's go into why. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. In fact, what counseling would call abuse... I would have suffered every type. Some of it extreme. And I struggled for 20 years looking for answers through the counseling world. I finally came out on the other side and I found simple truths in God's Word that brought peace to my heart. And that's what it meant by earlier, when I found God's answer, he opened the doors. And after people saw the change in my life, they came and started asking, will you tell us how? Will you share with us what God helped you with? And what I see there is what Paul says in Corinthians that we are to comfort one another with the same comfort that he has comforted us. I had a lot of brain fog. I had twisted, tangled thinking. If any of you know what that is, you understand. In school, I just had tremendous difficulty focusing. I couldn't memorize. I couldn't study for tests. It was very challenging. Like I say, I didn't do well with memorizing. I did a lot of daydreaming. I wanted to live in a better world. Like I said, I sought answers in the counseling world. I bought hundreds of books and sought any material I could find that might provide answers. Most of it I later recognized as being in error according to God's word. I almost went down the same path as many others who have walked away from home, family, church, and faith. And I'm sure many of you know people who have done that. 
I feel that I came almost within a hair's breadth of walking down that same road. That's why I'm concerned. I got most of my ideas from the material I read. That's why I'm concerned about written material. So today, who am I speaking to? How many were homeschooled? Well, all right. How about church or private schooled? Couple. I was as well. I went to a neighboring church school for 10 years. Anybody public schooled? Okay, nobody. What level of education? <clears throat> How many went the whole way through grade 12? A couple. Actually, a nice amount. Through grade 10? Maybe I should say whoever did not raise on, on grade 12. Now, who, how many others went through grade 10? A few. Grade 8? Okay. We soon have all of you. How many enjoyed language skills in school? Let's get the hands up high. Did you really enjoy? Okay, good. Very good. And in that, did you enjoy spelling? Phonics? Vocabulary? All right. Some of the rest of you might think that's sort of strange, right? How many enjoy reading today? Very good. One thing that I found that helped me to get a lot of where I'm at today is enjoying reading. How many enjoy writing? Let's get the hands up a little higher. Yeah. Some of you, good. You don't need to be embarrassed about that. Let me tell you a little story about writing. So as the editor of the magazine, I'm responsible to find people to write for our, our, our magazine or to find someone to write a, something on this topic or that topic. And we were looking for, and by the way, that's one of the reasons I'm here today, because I'm trying to encourage you to consider writing for our magazine articles for the youth and for children, because we need that. There was a young man who someone told us they think would do well at writing. They, they had heard him read something that he had written, and he just had a really good way of putting his words together. So I contacted his minister, and he said, sure. He thinks he would be a solid young man to consider writing. So I called and talked to, I forget if I talked to the father or the son first. Anyway, so I, but I ended up talking to the son, and I told him what we'd like to, for him to consider. And he said, well, yeah, he enjoys writing, but he's mostly just for himself. He's never written for someone else. I said, well, would you be willing? Yep. So he wrote an article for us, for the youth. And after he wrote it, <clears throat> he sent it, and there were some things in there that I just didn't feel real comfortable with. So I, I called him back, and I said, would you consider taking this part and this part and this part out? And soon it was over half of the article. And would you consider rewriting it with a little more of this focus? And I gave him some practical steps on what we would look for. And so, sure, he, he was very willing to do that. And he rewrote it, sent it, and we did our editing and worked together on getting it to where we felt comfortable and he felt comfortable. And we published it. And sometime later, another church magazine contacted me and asked if they could reprint that article. To me, that's... Amazing. Uh, a, a youth who had never written anything for the public, just with a little encouragement, tried, and then worked together and refining some things. And then after it was published, someone else thought it was had enough value that they wanted to reprint it. The value of writing. We communicate through writing. By texting, email, letters, recipe cards and devotionals. Here's something I think it's good to think about. Please don't get all excited about this, but how does technology affect our skill of writing? I tend to have a teacher 
perspective on things. And nothing bothers me more than to read a written article or a written manuscript that uses text language. I just think it's such a butchery of the English language. Uh, I just think we shouldn't do that. <clears throat> uh, but here's the thing. In our world, it seems like they want to dumb down education. They want everybody to sort of just be less than knowledgeable, less than skillful. So they just accept more things. I think that as Christians, we should should be learning. We should raise our level of understanding. And I would encourage you all to be careful to not use a lot of text language, especially in emails and letters and things like that, even though you might have got very used to it. We preserve our present thoughts for future retrieval. So many times I wish I had written something down a year ago or five years ago because I can't remember what that was, and it bothers me that I can't remember it. We do it with diaries. We're preparing for a devotional to remember future events or interesting events in our lives. Seriousness of writing. Our writing will influence others to move either towards God or away from his written word. Our writings are not the truth or the final authority. Rather, they are our opinion. They are our observation. They show how it looks from our vantage point. Once it is written and in the hands of others, there is no taking it back. We need to think about that, that it is very serious to start writing and giving our thoughts to others and trying in a way to, to move them on an issue. Some Bible verses, Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Matthew twelve thirty six and 37, But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, They shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now think with me about this for a minute. Our words are still our words, whether we write them or say them, right? Are you with me? So keep that in mind here with what Matthew says. So whether we write or whether we say them, I would encourage you to go get your Strong's Concordance or your, your app on your phone and see what God says idle means. And then try to think what God wants you to do when you are ready to send that silly text or an email. I'm not saying we shouldn't have fun. I'm not saying we, shouldn't, we can't laugh at, at jokes and things like that. But I do think we need to be careful that we are trying to stay within the confines of what God asks of us. Biblical writers. Moses wrote the words of the Lord. Deuteronomy, Moses wrote a song for Samuel. Samuel wrote all of these things in a book. And it can also be used in a bad way. I believe this was Jezebel. She wrote letters in Ahab's name. And you know the story there, where she actually was trying to do something evil and against God. Here are some quotes. I just want to show you how important the written word can be. These are all quotes that most of us recognize. Did you know those came from Ben Franklin? Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Don't cry over spilled milk. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I thought this one was interesting. I didn't know this before, but it's very interesting. We are all born ignorant, but one must work hard to remain stupid. That's true, isn't it? Here's some quotes from John Wesley. Certainly, this is a duty, not a sin. Cleanliness is indeed next to godliness. You know, there are some people that mistake that quote for being a Bible quote. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can. And author Thomas Paine was in early colonial America. This shows the power of the pen. 
He was one of the founding fathers of the United States. He authored the two most influential pamphlets at the start of the American Revolution, and he inspired the patriots when they de de declared their independence. It is said that virtually every rebel read or listened to a reading of his powerful pamphlet called The Common Sense. At, and, and, the, and John Adams said, without the pen of the author of Common Sense, the sword of Washington would have been raised in vain. So there's tremendous power in written, the written word. Um, back then, the world recognized the power that Thomas Paine held. In fact, if I remember some of my history, I believe there was a time when they were, when the, the revolution was starting to, to go backwards, and some of the colonial people, some of the colonists, were actually with sort of getting discouraged and pulling away from the battle. And I think that's when Thomas Paine went and wrote one of his pamphlets to re-inspire them, and it actually worked. And they came back with a renewed vigor. Now, as those of us who claim to be Anabaptists, let's think about this. How many can, individuals can you think of from our history that were writers? There's not very many back there in the first, in the beginning of the Anabaptist movement. Here's a few. Michael Sattler, Pilgrim Mark Peck. Dirk Phillips, Menno Simons, Obi Phillips, and then we have Balthasar Hubmeyer. And here's a quote that he gave. The death of the Lord should be preached after any land's tongue. It is much better that a single verse of the Psalms be spoken in every land after the language of the common people than five entire Psalms be sung in a foreign language and not be understood in the church. And here is what the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding than by my voice I might teach others also. That 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. I'm sorry, I, I didn't write, read that right. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So it is necessary, the Bible shows us very clearly, that there needs to be understanding with what we write so that it can give edification to others. And then there's very few writings in, the, in our history. We have the Sleitheim Confession. I believe that was put together by uh, Michael Sattler. If I'm not mistaken, the Martyr's Mirror, if I'm not mistaken, was put together by Dutch Mennonites. The Dutch Mennonites were a little more liberal, but they, were, they didn't have as much persecution, and they, they were very financially well off. And so they were able, they weren't as persecuted, so they had more time to do writings, and they had more money to put writings together. There were some other writings. You have the writings of Menno Simons. You have the Osbund um, and there's a few others as well. But consider this. It's almost like we have 300 silent years, or roughly therein, in our Anabaptist heritage. Very little writings that we have today. A lot of our literature today is either coming from Protestant or Catholic sources, or we have people from within some of our circles that are writing, and there's a tendency for them to get their sources from Protestant or Catholic. Much of the rest of our literature is from authors that are not solidly plugged into a local church, functioning according to New Testament guidelines. So there's a great need for individuals in the younger generation to start developing this ability. I see this as a weakness in homeschooled families. I see it in a weakness in church schools that don't actively have writing as a part of what they do. <clears throat> and some have it apart, but they, it's just there. Some people just do it because they have to. I talked to a friend of mine here just a couple of days ago, and he said he hated writing so bad when he was in school that he would do it first and do it really fast so he'd be done and he could go on to something else because he just hated writing. So I think we not only need to learn how to write, but, but need to stimulate and cultivate an interest in it. 
current literature trends. Monetary profit tends to dictate the content out in our world today. The world uses shock and awe and blood and gore. Plain publishing houses are following suit. If you start looking in the, in the uh, catalogs and look at a lot of the new books that are coming out, there's a lot of them that are starting to follow somewhat in the same, the same uh, pathway. Not quite. They're, they're usually a little bit further back or maybe on a, on a path just off to the side and going maybe just slightly in a different direction. But if you, some of the books that they put out, if you read them, it's almost like there's too much information. Readers crave lurid details. There's something about our base nature that craves that when it's written. But in, in publishing houses, if they do not have God's word at the center and at the foundation of what they're doing, if they allow profit to be their guiding principle, then whatever sells books tends to dictate the content. 2 Timothy 2 talks a little bit about this, at least I think it does. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Why should you write? To encourage other believers in their walk with God. To share what God is doing in other believers' lives who you have contact with. Human interest stories. To share your wisdom with the younger generation. To call to remembrance God's word. In Second Timothy and Hebrews there, it talks about that. To move people toward God, away from the world, or to take action on important issues. You should write to preserve your observation of current events for future memory. For you, for your children, or for others. How many of you enjoyed hearing stories from your grandparents? You remember going to grandparents' house and hear them tell stories. Did you enjoy that? Okay. There's very few, though, that their grandparents wrote it down. I remember sometimes we would talk to our grandparents or we'd talk to different people and say, you should write that down. But they're embarrassed. They don't want to write their things down. What if it gets out there and other people read it? We don't know about that. But I think it would be nice for for us to consider writing things down for our future generation. We should write to help the reader understand or sort through something they're having difficulty with. Now, this might be a little hard to understand, but sometimes if you've struggled with something in your life for a long time, all of a sudden God opens up the window of understanding, and it makes sense to you. If you write about that and share it with your friends or share it with wherever God opens the door for you to share that, you will be surprised how many more people will say, that makes sense. That's something I was struggling with. Because you see, in 1 Corinthians 10.13 it says, For there is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. That means if it's something you're struggling with, you can be sure based on God's word, others struggle with it too. To bring awareness to... Actually, let me back up and tell you a little story about that. When I was a young married, we were going to a Mennonite church where they had Sunday school. <clears throat> and I don't know why they did this, but... They actually had me be one of the men teachers, two groups of men. I was one of the teachers, and I was the youngest one in our class. To me, that didn't make any sense. But I was the teacher, so I was trying to do my duty. And I was starting to sort through some of these thoughts, and I came to that verse, and I thought, that, is that true? Surely not. One day I decided I'm going to take God at his word and prove him. So I went to the Sunday school, and I was sharing about discouragement. And I shared how that I tend to struggle with discouragement at times. And I'm trying to find my way through it, and here's some things God is sharing with me. And it was amazing. Brother after brother around the circle started saying, What's the matter with you? You're supposed to be a Christian. And I started getting discouraged again. I thought, surely, well, I must not have understood what God said. After church that day... Another brother in front of me turned around and he said, Are you serious? 
you were being honest. You struggle with discouragement. He said, I thought I was the only one. And here's a man who every Sunday, he is always smiling. His hair is combed with every hair in place. His clothes are perfect. There's no wrinkle on his clothes. And I'm thinking to myself, him of all of the brothers in the church, he struggles with discouragement. And he said, you know, I struggle with severe discouragement, sometimes two and three times a week. I thought I was the only person. And oh, I thank the Lord that he didn't let me go home that day without seeing that his word was true. To bring awareness to something others might not know about, but maybe they will want to know. To change the mind of readers, to not to help the reader get to know what's inside your head. Now here's something I've been, I've been doing some research and some study, and some of what my studies are, I've been list, actually listening to college professors on writing. And uh, they brought some of this to light that at first I didn't understand, but it started making sense. Sometimes we write because we want to tell other people what we think. But he said what we should really be doing is writing in such a way to try to help them think through this situation so they can understand it and so they change. Now you're sharing it in a way that you understand it, but you write about it in a way that it's like you're standing beside the other person looking at a problem out in front of both of you and you're talking about it. It's more like in a conversation. And as I got to thinking about that, I got to thinking of different books I've read and different writings I've read that have been very helpful and enjoyable to read. And that's actually how they write. To help the reader understand and be motivated by the cost or the benefit of changing their mind. If you want to write about something like they should, they should start thinking about changing this or that or the other, there needs to be something in there why they should. They want to see some value in why they should consider what you're writing. For the Christian, we should always write with an end in mind, eternity. With absolute truth in mind, the word of God. With clear direction in mind, we should follow the teachings of Jesus and his apostles. With humility, we are not God. We are on the same level as other created humans. What's holding you back? You might say, I'm not a writer. My ideas aren't worth writing about. I'm a nobody. I'm not perfect in my Christian life. I don't want others to see what I really believe. Others will make fun of me. You know, and here's something I'd like to just put out here. I was talking with an older, an older sister about writing for our magazine for the sisters. Her minister had told me that she would be a very good person to write for us. So I talked with her, tried to encourage her. Well, she will think about it. And then I talked to her a month later, and, well, she don't think she wants to for now. Then I left it go about a year. Then I went back to her, talked again. Well, she'll think about it. Then I talked about it with her a couple weeks later. I said, now, what's going on? Your church leader thinks you would do very good at this. What is holding you back? She said, you would not believe the cruel things other sisters have said to me about things I have said in a topic I've shared or in things that I've written. And so I'd just like to encourage each of us to be careful that we don't be the discouragement to others to get them to not use the gift that God has given them to use. Others will criticize what I write. I might change my mind later. Now, as we start moving forward, we need to know our audience. We need to choose to whom we are writing. Example, it's not going to work too good to write to Amish people about how to drive a car. And so you need to think about, if a, you know, like with us, our magazine goes to, to some Amish and Old Order Mennonites. And so we try to be a little bit careful that we don't have examples in our articles about smartphones and that type of thing. We try to tailor a little bit what is used in there because they're going to be offended by that. We sh the, the people that we write to, it works the best to write those, to those who we know from our type of church people. Why? If you, when you go into the mission field, 
there is a vast difference between sending us into a foreign land versus going over there and teaching someone there how to reach their own people. The ones who are over there who are native, they already understand the culture. They understand how to use the money. They know how to live on the meager salary that is there. They understand how to communicate at a level that a foreign missionary can't. And so the same thing is true. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that there is a difference. The same thing is true when we write. It does write, work best to write to people who we understand. Effective writing knows the audience, how they think, both content and style, what their personal problems are, what problems are within their realm of influence, which human interest stories will be of interest to them. So now you should choose your topic. Choose something of value to write about. It needs to be clear. It needs to be organized. It needs to be persuasive. But most of all, it needs to be important or valuable. Because if it's clear, but it's not important to the reader, then it's not valuable. If it's organized and it's not important to the reader, it's not valuable. If it's persuasive and it's not important to the reader, it's not valuable. It needs to be valuable to the reader, not to you. It can be new and original, but if it's not important to the reader, then it's not valuable. And I already talked about that one. Preparation. When I am thinking about writing something, I always plan in advance. Keep track of your thoughts. Over time, the longer the better. Keep a notepad on your person in your pocket or purse. I cannot imagine how many times I'm in the middle of something that I need both hands and a thought comes. And if I wait until I'm done with what I'm doing, I forget about it. And so I try to keep something in my pocket or right next to me where I'm working so that when a thought comes about what I'm thinking, I can quickly jot it down. Or you can use an app on your phone. Allow yourself plenty of time, days, weeks, or even months. Don't try to cram just the day before you need to write something and quickly do it. You might wish later that you hadn't done that. If you aren't motivated, you can wait till another day. I wouldn't push it. Sometimes you just aren't ready. Sometimes it helps us sleep over it. And here's one I'm not sure if I can explain, but you don't want to use tunnel vision and just really focus on the topic and just get all stressed out and try to push your mind to force it to think about what needs to be thought about. If the thoughts aren't coming, then go do something else. But leave that topic that you're thinking about. I don't know how better to say it, but leave it at the back of your mind and just leave it float. I don't know how better to say it. I'm not talking about something mystical or crazy. I'm just saying, just don't throw that thought away. Leave it there in your mind. And as you're going about your day, allow yourself to think about that from time to time. And as you do that, you'll be amazed at how many times new thoughts will come. And then you can write them down. That is something I found to be incredibly valuable. Another thing, here's something I found. How many feel like in a week of teaching like this, you just are crammed with information? Yeah? Here's something I found. The more worked up you get because you're not going to remember it, and you just, oh, the more your mind just sort of shuts down, and you remember less and less. What I've tried to do, and I've I've listened to lots and lots of, of university professors and and research scientists and there's all kinds of stuff I listen to and I just listen I just sort of relax and just let it come now I'm not saying to not be discerning but I'm just saying allow it to come and realize you're not going to remember every every word don't get worried about that just let it come what you're trying to listen to so like in these messages do the same Don't get all worked up that you won't remember every word. Just let it come. And you'll be surprised later how much of it you actually retained. It'll come back. Your memory takes that in. Starting to write. Look through your notes several times to commit it to memory. Organize your thoughts into an outline. Choose a title on which to hang all the content of your your article. Now this would be more if you're writing like a... Some type of an article, like for me, if I'm writing an article in the magazine, and I don't know how this is going to affect what you write, but 
Just think about this. Let's say you're writing a story. Think about the topic of what you want to write about. And then think about some of the content you want in that article. Then think of a title that you can put at the top that you can hang everything else on. All of the content is going to hang on that title. That has helped me tremendously. Does that make sense? So all of your thoughts are always going to be tied back to that title. To me, that helps keep, uh, keep out of the article things that I don't want in if they're not connected to the title. Or later, if I have other things I want to bring in, I'll change the title. But that has really helped. Also, another thing that helps is to develop subheadings if you want to write in smaller sections. Now, for a story, you might not want them there, but you could put them there to write, and later you could take them out. Use pen, paper, typewriter, word processor, or a computer. Now, here's something to think about. Way back years ago, way back in history, I'll go through some slides here in a minute, they would have used papyrus and a reed pen, just a, a reed that was cut, they dip in ink and write. Then they moved to the quill pen. Then they moved to, and I have some little antiques up here from, I don't know how many years ago that would have been from, but that would have been ink wells, and they would have dipped their pens in that and written with it. Now think about it. Today, we have computers, word processors. How much easier it is to write. So why not? It's so much easier. We don't have to go to all the bother of Worrying about spilling the inkwell or having a scratchy pen or having a quill that's going to lose its edge and we have to keep cutting it off to get a new edge. When you want to start, sometime you have to finally decide, okay, I'm going to do it. And you need to take the plunge and start writing. Allow your thoughts to flow. Fix grammar and punctuation later. If it doesn't seem to work, don't stress out. Do something else and come back again. Proofreading and editing after you've done it for flow of thought, for ease of reading and comprehension, for grammar and punctuation, for clarity and completion of thought. If possible, allow someone else to edit your finished product. Open yourself to constructive criticism. Use it to grow. Do not take it personal. Do self-editing. Once you're finished, read it through. Change the font. Read it through again. If you're handwriting... You can switch between manuscript or cursive. But what will happen is if you change the font, you'll pick up errors that you wouldn't otherwise pick up. Then if you print it out and read it through again, you'll pick out more errors. Then if you read it out aloud, you'll pick up more. Now that soon sounds like a lot of time, doesn't it? But someone who writes an article or a story, those who have good stories have done a lot of this work. Through this all, you're looking for continuing flow of thought from beginning to end, unnecessary repetition of thought, ease of reading without needing to stop and reread any section. Now, here's something when you are reading through an article or a story, if all of a sudden they don't have the words flowing quite right, you have to stop or slow down because you're trying to figure out what are they trying to say. Then you have to reread it, maybe reread it a few times. Maybe you still don't get it, so you finally skip it and go on. The more of that that's in an article or a story, you finally get frustrated and quit reading. So if you're going to write, that's one reason you should read it out loud to yourself. When I do editing, I will do that. I'll do, I do all of this that you see here. And one thing I do when I read out loud, I try to think how the reader is going to understand what they're reading. Now that's a little bit challenging to do because, of course, I'm not the reader. But there are times that the writer writes it the way they think. But if, it's, if they would read it back out loud to themselves, they would recognize that's really not the way I want it to come out. For clarity of thought and ease of understanding, publisher and writer. <clears throat> there needs to be a healthy writer-publisher relationship. The importance of getting to know each other. Remember that whoever prints your article will want to do a final edit on numerous points. Don't take this personally. This is a huge problem. 
Many times people write something and they send it to somewhere to get published. And there's editing done and it comes back to them and they say, that is not my article. Well, I would encourage, I think that there needs to be open communication about that and not getting, again, back to what I said earlier, not reacting. (laughs) Let's respond but not react. Someone wrote an article for us one time. I went through and did some editing and I would change some wording because I thought it's going to come out to the reader in a way the writer didn't want it to come out. I sent it back to the person. It was the first time we had been interacting together and he called me or I called him a day later and I could tell he was not happy. He was, he was uh, doing his best to be a Christian without letting me know that he inside he was really upset. And I said, listen, just relax. Tell me what you don't like. So he started saying, well, I don't like this, and I don't like this. And I said, okay, so let's go down through. So we went down through the article. I was, we were on the phone. I was on my computer. He was on. And I changed everything he wanted me to change. And what he did, he took everything I had changed and put it back to the way he had it in the beginning. Then we got to the very last point. I said, now... Let's stop and think about that a little bit. You're using this word, and you read that. How do you think the reader is going to understand that? I said, Isn't, aren't they going to understand it this way? Yeah. Is that what you want the reader to hear? No, 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 no. No, I don't. I don't. Okay, okay, change it back. I said, well, that's how I edited the whole thing. And so... I said, let's look at another one. So we went back to another one. And till we were all done, he said, well, just go and change everything back the way you had it. (laughs) So what I'd encourage is if you ever do get into that situation, try not to react, but try to be honest and try to understand what the editor is trying to do. There are times editors can make mistakes, so it is good to communicate back and forth. We'll probably want first rights to your article. A good editor will work with the author to maintain the author's general content and style, to ensure the writing is actually saying what the author intended, to ensure that the article will be understood by the reader in the correct way, to allow the author to be at rest with the finished edition. Now back to content and style and punctuation and grammar. There are different styles that professional writers use. And I would encourage you, if you're wanting to write, to go and do your research and find do your own research on that. But there are differences. Some people will put one space after periods, and some will put two. Some styles say the one way is right. Some say the other way is right. There's also a difference of opinion on whether a comma should always be inside quotation marks or whether there's a place where it can be used outside. And so there are differences in styles It's good to just find a style and stick with it. Writing effectively. Focus more on the function or purpose of your writing instead of the formula or method. Write with authority, but not dogmatically. With respect, not arrogance. Mark 1, 22, they talked about Jesus. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, but not as the scribes. There is a way to speak and to write that we can follow Christ's example But we should always be respectful and meek in the way we respond to others. Be careful about making strong statements without substantiating facts. Write from your heart, personal experience and observation, not just your head, opinion or head knowledge. Write in a way that allows the reader to think for themselves, develop their own convictions as you lead them through your journey. What I mean by that is, like I said earlier about something you struggled with, and then God gave you understanding. If you just simply tell them what the answer is, they're not going to understand. It helps to write what it was like for you. Step one, step two. What, what you struggled with, where you start finding some light and some answers, and just sort of walk through your journey And as you do that with the reader, it helps them understand better also. Clearly show a problem if there is one. 
For example, let's just say you're writing an article for the youth. What are you going to write about? Aren't you going to want to write something that, that is meaningful and helpful to the other youth? So you need to find something that is a problem, something that needs some to be addressed. That's what I mean by a problem. But you should also show a solution. Identify and appreciate the good that is already present. Don't just write as though you have all the answers and everybody else is completely wrong. There needs to be appreciation coming through in what you write about the good that is there. Write with some contrast to develop some tension. Now, this is a little hard to understand, but if you just write just monotone and humdrum, it gets boring. But if you want to point out something, it's good to use contrast. You say something about this, but, and then something of contrast. You say something about this, that this is the way this is, but it really shouldn't be that way. Rather, it should be this way. So, you see what I'm saying? Use words like, like but and rather and unless and where you pull out a little bit of contrast. When I do editing, I try to take out but as often as I can because but tends to be a very, very pointed finger. I like to use words like yet and hence and thus and henceforth and that type of thing. But there is a time to use but. And here's an example. Just like with music, reading, writing can be the same as music. Some music puts people to sleep and other music stirs the heart. Lullabies will put them to sleep. If you sing a music that has a minor, minor uh, notes or you have a, more of a marching tune, it stirs the heart. And you know what I'm talking about. That is all I have on that. I'm going to switch over to this other set of slides here yet just for interest's sake I came across these about the history of writing in 3200 BC we have the first instance of written language and it was it was scratchings into wet clay that later hardened in 1250 BC we have writing develops in China 1100 BC, we have the, I think that's where the first alphabet type language was used instead of symbols. 100 BC, the Chinese invented paper. And then just a little bit later, 105 AD, they actually developed a paper making industry. In 600 AD, quill pens first appeared in Spain. In 1440 to 50, the printing press was invented. 1564, we have the invention of the lead pencil. And then, if I remember right, the quill pen was used into the mid-1800s until the metal pen was invented. Now, the quill pen originally was used just as a feather. They would cut it on an angle and use it, and it would start losing its sharp edge just like a pencil does. So just like you have to resharpen a pencil, they would have to resharpen their pen. So that's, if I'm not mistaken, that's what a pen knife was. You'd have a small knife that you would cut the, the end of the, of the feather to get a sharp point again and keep writing. Then you get dull, so you do it again. Then later they found that they could get a metal insert and put a metal, you'd cut the end of the feather off and put a metal insert in. I think they called it a, a metal nib, I think. And you'd stick that up in and it would have a metal point. That way your metal point wouldn't get dull near as quickly. But it's interesting to think back through what all people needed to go through in order to write to preserve some of the things we have today. In 1714, the typewriter was invented. In 1888, the ballpoint pen was invented. 1970s, the word, word processing was invented. 1992, SMS was first used. In 1997, you have the first mobile phone with a full keyboard. 1997, you had instant messaging. In 2004, Facebook was created. And that is all I have. I hope it wasn't boring. I hope you are stimulated to consider whether God would have you write 
for the kingdom. Now just think about this. Someday you men might be called to have a devotional. You'll need to learn to write your thoughts down to remember what you want to write. You sisters, you might be called to homeschool your children someday. It's important to learn to write for that. Maybe you'll be called to speak at a women's group. It's important to learn to write for that. So there's a whole host of things in your future that you will benefit from spending some time learning to write better than what you're doing now. God bless you.